And I want to open just with a question. And that is, how many of you have ever forgotten anything? Yeah, uh, yeah right? It's normal, right? <coughs> how many of you have ever forgotten something very important? All right? How many of you have forgotten any anniversaries? Don't raise your hand, right? <laughs> but there are times in our lives that we become distracted and we can forget things that are important to us. Things that we should know. Things that we should understand. But we get so tied up in whatever we're doing and whatever might be in the moment that we just forget. And then we proceed to beat ourselves up. We proceed to go through all these things. But I think that James is going to have some good things for us today in what we say. So uh, I'm just going to read through the scriptures here. Uh, starting in verse 13, uh, you can read along with me on the screen, all the way to verse 20, and then we're going to kind of go through this and dissect it today. James 5.13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? He should sing praises. If any among you is sick, he should call the elders of the church, and they should pray over him after anointing him, with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will restore him to health. If he have committed sins, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, Yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. And then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth, and someone turns him or her back, let them know that whoever turns a sinner from error and the error of their ways will save them. From, from life, or will save them from death to life, and cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask God you would be with uh, and bless the reading of your word and the hearing of it this morning, that we might be able to open the scriptures and see face to face what you would have us to see, the beauty of your word and the beauty of and the majesty of what you have us to hear. And we will praise you and honor you, God. Help us this morning in your name. Amen. So we started the sermon by saying, if any of you have forgotten anything. So, the nice thing about that is because you have forgotten things and you understand what it's like to forget something, we can jump right into this passage with context that you are understanding. Okay? So this is what it means. If any of among you are suffering, he should pray. This is a reminder to James from James to us to say this. There's going to be times in your lives when things don't go your way. There are going to be times in your life when you are flat on your back looking up and just thinking, I don't know where God is. Charles Spurgeon would famously say that if you cannot trace God's hand, you must be able to trust his heart. You must know that he has the best intentions for you, that he loves you, that he wants to take care of you. It doesn't mean to wallow in misery. So what it says here, and James gives us the, admi the admonition, he says, if you are suffering, 
you should pray. Now that seems easy, right? Just pray. But the usage here of the, the middle voice in this praying word is actually interesting, and, and I'll share it with you now. It doesn't just mean that you should pray about it. It doesn't just mean that you go to the Lord and you say, God, I'm going through it. What it actually means is you should continue praying. A better translation might say you should keep on praying. You start praying. You continue praying. And when it gets better, guess what you do? You keep praying. It doesn't stop. In the life of a Christian, the saddest Christian in the world is one who forgets to pray. And we have, we have time constraints. A lot, of, a lot of people work in hospitals, and you're like, well, Brent, I just, you don't understand. I just don't have time. And it goes back to what we would call in Thessalonians and other places what's called an attitude of prayer. You don't have to close your eyes and bow your head and, and kneel to pray. You can be in a constant talk with God throughout the day. And it, I would say in a Christian life, that's the only way you're going to live successfully. It's constantly having a conversation with God, saying, God, I don't know what's next. I don't know what's going on right now. I just need more of you. I need more of you in the next 10 minutes. I need more of you in the next hour. I need more of you in the next day. And that constant prayer that goes on in your life is a rehearsal because don't forget we forget and there's sometimes you're going to get busy and you're going to forget to pray there's going to be times you're going to make decisions and you're going to say I just, I just don't have time to pray I've got to make it now and there's going to be those times and I want to, I want to tell you that James understands James is a hard book you know James comes at us a lot of times with a my mama would say with a switch, right? He comes at us with a, with a, my grandfather would say a hickory. And he comes and he almost beats us into submission verbally by saying, you know, you're doing this, stop it. You're doing that, idiots. Why are you doing this? But here he's saying, listen, I understand. I understand that if you're suffering, you might forget this. But don't, don't forget to pray. Martin Luther was famous. Um, for praying two hours every morning before he got his day started. Now, I'm no Martin Luther, okay? Um, if you are, I, I will gladly hold my hands up. But he famously, in one statement, had someone come to him and said uh, they knew he had a busy day that day, that something was going on. And they came to him and said, uh, Martin Luther, you, you have a busy day today. Are you going to cut back your prayer just a little bit so you can kind of get more done today? And he said, you're right. I have a busy, busy day. Busy from morning, busy tonight. In fact, I'm so busy, I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer this morning. The truth is that God can do more with your time than you can do with your time. God can make you more productive with your time than you can. And James wants to remind you guys, there's going to be times when you suffer, when you don't understand. You keep praying. You continuously pray. Now it goes on to the next thing. Not all of us are going to suffer, right? I don't think if all of us suffered, if we all came in here just down every week, it'd be rough, right? 
Most people know me. Um, I'm pretty cheerful most days, sometimes. I like to smile some days. Most days end in Y. I like to smile. Um, but I wear my heart on my sleeve. So if I have a down day, it's pretty easy to see. It's pretty easy to see when I have a down day. And a lot of times people will be like, oh man, Brett's going through it today. Because I wear it on my face, I like go through. And those are the days I need to pray. I need to pray through those days to get through. But most days, I'm right here, right? James says, if any of you are cheerful. He says, go ahead, you should sing praises. Again, the same, the same voice is used here. You shouldn't just sing praises. You should keep on singing praises. And in fact, you should keep on singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to yourself. Now, I'm not really great at that. Uh, I'm not the best singer in the world. Um, I am a, actually probably the best singer you've ever heard in the shower when no one hears me. But when I'm kind of just on my own, I've come to terms with the fact that sometimes singing praises doesn't really mean I'm singing a song. Sometimes it just means I'm just reading scripture to myself that I know. And that's why it's important for you all to read scripture yourself. It's a dangerous question to ask, but I will ask it to you this morning. If I took your Bible away today and wouldn't give it back, how much of it could you remember? How much of it could you recite to yourself? Because there may come a day when you don't have this. You're overseas on a mission field. You lose your only Bible you have. You have to share the gospel. What are you going to do? Do you know it? We have to know it. We call ourselves Christians. The etymology of the word breaks down to say, I am Christ-like. If you want to be Christ-like, you kind of have to know the Bible. Right? Jesus would stand and he would say, I know all the Old Testament, I know all of it. In fact, when he would come back into the earth, he would walk the road to Emmaus with two people. He would describe the entire Old Testament and teach them. I don't even know if I can do that. Can I walk with someone who's never heard the Bible and tell them from start to finish the story? That's where we want to be. That's what we want to be like. We want to be the cheerful man who can say, I sing songs, I'm happy. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you with scripture. Nothing encourages like the word of God. I can look at you and I can tell you I love you. That's great. But if I can look at you and explain to you why God loves you, that's so much more to you. It's so much more for you. And James wants to unpack that. He says, if you're cheerful, sing songs, sing praises. Verse 14 comes to this and says, Now if any of you are sick, now uh, RJ and I was joking this morning because there's a commentator that says, this doesn't mean that you call every time that your foot acheth, right? It was an old commentator, so we, uh, we say that now uh, we're going to have a headache, and when we go through it, our foot's going to acheth. But it doesn't mean that when all these things happen, you call Pastor Chris, you know, Pastor Chris. I stubbed my toe. It hurts. I need you to drop what you're doing and come anoint me with oil. James told you so. 
That's not what he's saying, right? He's not saying that at every moment we turn around and we say, I need you here, I need you here. What it says is this, it says, you know, there's gonna be some times when people are sick unto death, when they can't do anything for themselves. And it speaks to the elders here, but I think it's more important for us to know that this is not just written for the church leaders. It's written for you all. Because there's going to be times when you have to speak into the life of something that's hard. And our brother lost his brother this week. That's a hard situation. And we speak love into that because we do love him and his family. And that's not just the elder's job. But what he says here is he says, you know, that when you find someone who is sick, he says that he should call the elders. Now, this is fun, right? Okay. Because the onus is not on us. Right? I'm going to use Pastor Chris and I. We're not supposed to go like, are you sick today? No? Okay. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to drop by your house uninvited, knock on the door and be like, hey, is anyone sick in the house? That's going to be like, every time Brett's here, he's just asking if I'm sick. He's bringing death to my doorstep. <laughs> That's not what it's about. It's saying, the onus is on you all. Let us know what's happening. If we're a family, we're a church family, we want to be involved. We want to know. How's it going? What's the update? What's going on? And if we can make it, we're going to make it. If we can't, we're definitely going to pray. We're going to do everything we can to be your family. That goes for all the pastors. goes for all the deacons. The deacons are there to, guess what, serve you. That's what they do. And so we're always here for you. And James wants to write this encouragement. He says, you know, it's on you guys to let us know. It says, reach out to the elders of the church. They'll come, they'll pray over him and anointing him with olive oil. Now, as a good Baptist, I want to skip this, but I won't. <laughs> right? As a good Baptist, when uh, it's kind of a, I know some of you come from a Roman Catholic background where anointing with oil is kind of a, a normal thing. Growing up Southern Baptist, anointing with oil is like a taboo thing, right? It's like a sacred cow. You just don't really talk about it. So you just kind of skirt over it. But that's not true. What it is, there's no special, like, magic that we do, right? Like, I'm not going to be like, everyone turn around, and then like, all right, the oil's ready. What it is is that in this time, there was a time where oil was meant to signify some things. It was meant to signify some cleansing. It was even used as a medicinal salve. What James is saying is, the elders of the church, we do everything we can to help. If we can provide medicine, we, we do it. We give it. We come and administer it, right? I won't give you a shot, though. I'm scared of needles. I won't do it. Um, if you come at me with a needle, I'll Judy chop you in the neck. We're done and done. But as the elders, we want you to be healthy. Right? We want you to have a good life. We want you to understand the, the beauty in that life. So if you're sick... We want to come and help you any way we can. And that's what James is saying. He's saying, you know, there's this beautiful thing with the anointing of oil. And I love this. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will restore him to health. Now, the interesting thing is it doesn't say how the Lord restores him, right? A lot of times we like to think, well, if I just pray, God will make him better. 
Well, I'm going to be honest. The most better God can make him is in heaven. It's the most better, right? And that's, that's some southern grammar for you. That's some backwoods sticks grammar, but it's the most better. <laughs> the most better God can make him is to take him home. And so when we pray, God may choose to leave him on this earth and to heal him and to be beautifully worked out in a miraculous way. And God may not. And he may choose to bring home his child into heaven. And we don't decide. We bless him on either end. Because both are miraculous events. And we pray for either one that God wants. And it goes on and says this. The Lord will restore him to health and the committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, this is interesting. How many of you have ever been in a, in a Bible study? And I'm going to use my own example, so it's fine if you don't want to give your example. Um, where people like to confess like safe sins, right? So if you've ever been in a group, and I have, and uh, we get in the groups and we're like, um, I've just been going through it, right? I've had the worst week, and I'm just like, this is bad. We start going around the circle, and then you have some someone who's just like, well, I didn't read the Bible every day. I'm like, oh, yeah. And you have the next person like, yeah, well, I didn't pray every day. And I'm sitting there looking at my life like, I don't want to admit to anything I done did. Right? I don't want to be the guy who lied to this person, like cheated, did, cheated on my test, did all these things after didn't read the Bible, girl. Right? So it's like we confess these safe sins. But the honest truth is this. In a church context, and the beauty of the, con the church that we live in, and the community is, we are called to confess our sins to each other. Why? So we can judge one another and talk about each other? You won't believe what Pastor Chris is going through. No, that's not what we do, right? It's to strengthen one another. We don't want any one of us, right? We don't want to be at the forefront just dragging someone, right? We're not the army, right? We're not running drills where someone's like, catch up! We win as a team, we lose as a team. So if one of us has fallen down, can't get up, that's a reflection on our church. And our church is called to pick that person up. Not the elders, not the deacons, our church as a whole is called to reach down and say it's okay. Because we all understand. If you don't understand what it's like to sin, come talk to me. I'll probably call some out in your life. It'll be fine. But we all understand what it's like to go through that. What it's like to be there. And we don't judge. We confess to one another because it strengthens us. The power of a secret sin is not in the sin part. It's in the secret part. Because when you take a secret sin and make it public, there's no, there's no shame anymore. Because the persons around you will will gather around you because it's part of your testimony right 
someone I can look at you and tell you that, that I became addicted to lust at an age 15 <coughs> for God to pull me out of that by some godly men and for me to be fighting that every day, it helps you understand that I know what you're going through. I'm right there. And that confession is not so you can judge me. The confession is so you know I'm right here with you. We're going through it all together. And James is like, this is what it's about. Like, you want a great church? Start confessing bad things to each other. Like, that's dangerous, ain't it? A little bit. Without any risk, there's no payoff. Without me coming to you, I'm just a plastic, fantastic Christian. I'm super Christian. I don't struggle with anything. And this bothers me the most. Um, and if you've ever said this to me, don't like feel convicted and say, I have apologized or nothing. Um, but I hate the Christian F word, which is when I ask you how you are, you're like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I'm like, really? Like in the world we live in, you're just fine? Like how? Because I can tell you at least like five things that happened to me this week that made me not fine. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And we're never going to achieve, as a church, a community of acceptance and a community of love until we get to the point where we can say, this week really wasn't fine. This week I struggled. This week was hard. This week me and God got in a shouting match. This week I couldn't understand why I kept fighting with my wife, why I didn't understand what she was going through. This week, I wanted to murder my boss. Right? You're not fine. And it's okay to come together and say, you know, this is what we're going through. And some of us are in some really deep bondage, and we won't tell anybody because it's shame. That's that secret part. But we all love each other. And we need to learn to love each other more because, not because we just increase our love for each other, right? That'd be, that'd be useless, right? We can just love on each other, become a culture of love, love this. Love. No, we need to love each other because guess what? The Jesus said the world knows us by our love for one another. So you want to reach out into the community, you want to reach people, you got to learn to love each other first. For everything, for all the cultural differences, for all the beautiful differences, you gotta learn to love me and my southern accent, my most bestest. You gotta learn to love me for my faults, my failures. And I can tell you this church has embraced me in all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly. Mostly the ugly. And James is saying this is what we do. We confess our sins to one another, we pray for one another. See, he's not, James is not stupid. He's saying, you're suffering, keep on praying. Guess what, you confess each other's sins, that's hard, you might be suffering because you did that. Pray for one another. Keep on praying for one another. Continues on, it says, so that you might be healed, so that you can come out of that, so that you can overcome that. Now this is fun. The urgent request of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. Now, this is where we got to stop for a minute. We got to rein it in. Okay, we're reining it back in. 
Now, I, uh, I was talking to a person about this, and they were like, Aha! Gotcha. I'm not righteous. They said, You don't believe I'm righteous either. And I said, What do you mean? So we had a talk, and we get to how man is totally depraved and in need of Christ. And he's like, Exactly, I'm not righteous. So here's the teaching. In yourself, you're not. But there's something called, in the big Christian word, right? So you can keep this one in-house. I'm going to break it down, and you can take that one outside. It's called justification, right? When you were saved, you were then justified. What does that mean, right? So let me just not leave you with that. In the courtroom of heaven, you are guilty. There is no question. There is evidence piled up. There is no way you're getting out. Your punishment is hell. That's what you get. At the moment of salvation, you receive Christ. And Jonathan Edwards would call it the great exchange. Where Christ would give you his righteousness in exchange for all your sin. Is that confusing? Yeah, because we don't understand why he do it. Everything he is, everything beautiful about Christ... That perfect life he lived, traded for all the muck and mire that we are. Because you know you, right? You all get up and you look in yourselves in the mirror and you tell yourselves, I'm just not who I want to be. The, the book on psychology is actually starting to diagnose this as a, as a mental issue not being able to see yourself like you are, but actually seeing yourself worse than you are. That's why, like, uh, if you have a bunch of women in a room, they'll talk about, you know, how they're this and they're this, but you talk to their husbands, they're like the most glorious creature in all creation. Because we see each other in different lights and we love each other. When Christ looked down, he said, I don't, I don't see you anymore and all your depraved brokenness because you're still that right but he looks down and he says no I exchanged all your brokenness for everything that I am which is righteous so in the truth and this is a hard thing I was challenged to do this and it's hard to do I'm going to challenge you this morning we'll try to do it together so we're all in a group but I want us to make the statement that I'm righteous not in and of yourselves, but in Christ. So on three, we're going to do it together. Right? We're going to practice this. My breath, this is hard. I get it. You might be the only one. You and me. We're right there. All right? You won't be the only one. Just you and me. So as a group, on three, we're just going to say, I am righteous. It's hard, right? One, two, three. I am righteous. You are in Christ and only in Christ. Because he gave it to you full and no strings attached so when it says this we jump back into scripture the urgent request of a righteous person is powerful what did we just say it's a powerful statement when you pray for things and not only when you pray but guess what what do we do we keep on praying it's a powerful thing.
because we rest in the righteousness of Christ who knows how to give his children good things when you pray. Mm-hmm. Continues on, it says this. He goes on to give an example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now, if you don't know about the story of Elijah, some of you may come from a background where you just didn't study a whole lot of church in the Old Testament. There was a bunch of prophets. Uh, prophets were sent by God to a certain situation. They would go through that situation. They would fight for God. They would basically be his mouthpiece. There were certain prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, you can read about them. They're kind of books. You have uh, prophets like uh, Jeremiah. Uh, you could consider Daniel a prophet if you want. Uh, but in the book of Kings and Samuel, you'll have prophets like Samuel. You also have prophets like Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was considered by many to be one of the greatest prophets. Why? Well, only two people in all the entire Bible do we see that don't die. Right? We don't see them die. That's it's only, well, technically, Jesus got up from death, so he doesn't count. But two people just doesn't experience death at all. And that's the Enoch in the book of Genesis, who just says he walks with God and was not. And that's Elijah. Elijah was caught up by a fiery chariot. Like, just pull back from it. Can you imagine, right? Take me, okay? Like, but all of a sudden, like, we feel some wind coming through, like, some nice AC, right? And it's like, fiery chariot comes out of that wall, grabs me, and goes off. You're like, yep, demon took him. I don't know what happened, but he's gone. Elijah had a protege, a prophet in training, right? Um, whose name was Elisha, who would go on to do even greater things than Elijah, who would see this. So Elijah's kind of a big deal. Okay, that's the point. Elijah's considered a big deal in the prophet world. And it said that Elijah, who was a man in a nature like ours, and this is one of the stories about him, says that he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. Now, this is not the only time that, that God has used a man who prayed to do something miraculous. Just a man. And you and I think we can't pray for anything, right? Now, I'm not telling you to pray for a Maserati. That ain't how it works. But if you're accomplishing God's purposes... Joshua prayed that God would stop the sun and God stopped the sun you see later that, that uh, the king uh, Hezekiah would pray to God that he would actually pull back time and the shadow and the sundial will go back you see Amazing acts like when God says, I'm through with the Israelites, and kind of by Exodus 32, I'm done with the Israelites, it's over. And Moses goes to God and says, God, don't you remember your promises to us? And he says, the words used is God's repent. What does it mean? Did God change his mind? God does what God wants. Moses just reminded God you promised you would do this for us and there's some promises in scripture that we kind of forget about like the fact God will never leave you or forsake you those are his promises not ours right we didn't make a conditional promise like God if you show up I'll be here it's not contingent on you it's contingent on God it's his promises 
So if a man, like Elijah, can pray and stop the rain for God's purposes, what is stopping us from praying some audacious things? I was once told that if your vision doesn't scare you, it's too small. So think about that. What's the vision of this church? We want to reach the community. That really doesn't scare me. I think that's like step one into a vision that scares me. A vision that scares me is like, a lot of people know who I am, and I'm like, I don't want anybody to know who I am, right? Because I want to see, not only do we reach this community, but we reach Raleigh. I don't pray to God for a mega church. I pray for God for a movement. A movement of him in a city. We don't need a big church. In fact, every movement that ever started in this country didn't take place by a mega church. The great awakening in this church took place by a couple teenagers who got on fire for God. If a couple teenagers can do it, why can't a church of roughly what we have, 60 people in here? If they can change the course of history into a great awakening, why can't we just reach out in the community to start with? We don't need to lose our vision. We need to recapture that. Because if a man like Elijah can pray and stop the rain, a church like GZCF can pray and change this community. A few weekends ago, a few weekends ago we had a break-in in the back. Some of you guys heard about it. I want it to where every student in that school knows our church and knows we don't break in that church. Why? Because they love us. Right? Because we have Brett's phone number. If we really wanted the church, we could call. But it's not going to start and it's not going to end with just me or Pastor Chris or the deacons. I could bring in the worship team. I could like outsource a bunch of people from like a different church and bring them here. It's not going to start. It's not going to help any of it. Until we as a church... Just like we need to confess to one another, we need to push each other to reach this community. Because that's the vision. <coughs> Have you guys forgotten anything before? Yeah. We need to be careful as a church. We don't lose that vision. And we don't forget it. Because it's not that we come in here, and I love coming in here, and I love teaching, and I love preaching, and I love... All the things we do, but if you come in here on a Sunday just to sit like a bump on a pickle, pray to God that you can actually get on fire. That's my vision for you, and that's what I want for you. I want for you to be antsy, right? Like, when's Brett stopping preaching? I got evangelism to do. Like, yeah, yeah, you do. <laughs> you got people to talk to. You got things to accomplish. And we should stir up that environment. I'd love to see almost like a competition. Like, oh yeah, I talked to five people. I talked to six. I'm going to go talk to one more so I can catch up with these. Why? Because there's nothing wrong with telling people about Jesus. He continues on. He says, in three years and six months, it didn't rain on the land. He prayed again, and the sky gave rain to the land. It produced its fruit. He says, my brothers, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that whoever turns a sinner from error of his ways will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, this is talking about two things. Number one, if there's anybody that falls in this church, 
whether that's into bad theology, whether that's into a different religion, whether that's into uh, a corrupt view of who Jesus is. No matter what it is, we stop, we pick that person up. <clears throat> now, they might want to wallow. They might just say, I'm done. And there's some policies and procedures for that if it, if it comes to that. But our goal is that we don't lose anybody. Nobody falls through the cracks at GGCF. So maybe there's some people in this, this congregation you're like, well, I don't know them really well. I don't really know what they're going through. Well, turn around and start meeting some people. What? I don't want you just to know me. I don't want you just to know your friends. I want the church to know everyone in the church. Like, well, Brett, they just don't want to talk to me. I would beg to differ. I don't think anyone in this church is really just antisocial. They say, I haven't been to me. Maybe I haven't been here long enough. But I'm going to tell you that we're all in this to make a difference. And James has just promised us with the last words of his book, all the things that he has just said, he says, you know, you've got to get over suffering, you've got to pray. If you're cheerful, make sure you sing. If you're going through this, you've got to do this. If you're rich, do this. If you're doing all these things, if you find yourself in trials, and the last thing he says in his book, he says, you know what? More important than any of that is this. If you can take somebody who is straight from the truth and turn them around and focus them on Jesus Christ, you just started a party in heaven. The angels rejoice for one person. And I don't want Jesus to have to sit here on whatever land, whether we're in this location or another one, whether we're anywhere in this place, and not forget to celebrate one person. One person turned away from sin and focused on Christ is a victory. I want to see a lot more victories. And I want to see a beautiful conversion in this community that is lost and looking for answers. And the truth is we have the answer. They might not accept it. That's not on you. But it is on you to go tell them the answer. If you guys kept asking me a question and I had the answer and I said, you know, I have the answer, but... She's not going to tell you. What, what good am I to you? I told the students last week, and we'll close with this today. Uh, there was a magic duo by the name of Penn and Teller. Um, and they would go on, and, and, and I believe it's, um, it's one of the, the two. He has glasses, long hair. It's Teller Penn. Google it. Um, but he was an atheist. I don't know if he is now, but at the time he this came out, he was. And he was doing kind of a, um, a video with some people and interacting with what they were asking him. And one of the questions was basically, how do you deal with Christians who tell you that you're wrong, that you're an atheist? And his reply might surprise you. He said, I actually think and I accept what they say because I think it means they love me. And he said, I'm going to explain what I mean. He says, because if you believe in a hell and you don't tell someone about it and how they can avoid it, you have to really hate that person. 
You have to really hate somebody not to tell them that they're going to hell. And he said, you can put the belief on them, right? The onus of belief is on that person, not on you. But the truth is that if you don't tell someone, it does mean you have to have some form of hate for them. If I knew that you were going to get hit by a train today, and I didn't tell you to avoid every train track, it would mean I didn't care anything about you. And I want GGCF to love people enough to say, I'm not making you believe this, but you've got to hear it. Let's pray this morning.